Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I post episodes weekly on Tuesdays on pretty much whatever I like, so welcome. In this week's episode, we return to the Interlacastrian, to the area of the Great Lakes of Africa and specifically to the Kingdom of Boganda. Buganda is the largest of the traditional kingdoms in present-day East Africa, consisting of Uganda's central region, including the capital, Kampala. I was overwhelmed with sources for this story, as Buganda has one of the best documented histories of any people of Uganda. The reasons for this will become clear as we take this journey together. If I had to pick one phrase to attribute to Buganda, it would be Sabasaja Wangale. Long live the king, as you will be hard-pressed to find a Muganda who is indifferent to the Kabaka. To this day, the women kneel and the men prostrate themselves before the king, and this is completely unremarkable and widely accepted. This is the story of their origins. The genesis of this great kingdom is not clear to historians. However, two main tales are told of the rise of the people of the king. The first will be a familiar one if you have been following this series and follows the tale of the dynasties of the Batembuzi, the Bachwezi, and the Babito of Bonyorochitara. According to Nyoro oral tradition, the founder of Buganda was Katochimira, who came from Bunyoro. He was believed to have been the twin brother of Isingoma Rukidi Mpuga I, the progenitor of the Babito, and is believed to have carved Buganda from the carcass of the Bunyoro Chitara kingdom following its collapse. It is said that he arrived with five to six of the present-day clans of Buganda. But the most widely held belief, as told in Ganda oral tradition, is that the first man on earth was Chintu. When Chintu first came to Buganda, he found that there was no food at all. He brought with him a cow and had only its milk for food. One day, a young princess, Nambi, came to earth on a jaunt with her favorite brother, Kaikuzi, and saw Chintu. Nambi fell in love with him and wished to be married to him and told him so. But she had to return to her people and to her father, Gulu, who was the king of the sky. Her relatives objected to the marriage because they said that the man did not know of any food except that which the cow gave, and they didn't approve of the match. Gulu, in his wisdom, decided that he would set Chintu five tasks before he agreed to the marriage to be overseen by Nambi's brothers Walumbe and Kaikuzi. And so Gulu sent his son Kaikuzi to take Chintu's only cow. This was the first task, and for a time, Chintu was at a loss for what to eat, but eventually learned to eat herbs. One day, Nambi spotted a large, majestic cow among her father's herd and recognized it as Chintu's. She understood then that her brothers meant for Chintu to starve to death, and so she returned to earth and told Chintu what had happened and invited him to return with her to reclaim his cow. Chintu agreed and went with Nambi. When Walumbe and Kaikuzi saw Nambi with Chintu, they reported back to their father. Gulu ordered them to build a house and put Chintu to the second task. An enormous meal was prepared, enough food for a hundred people, and brought to him. 
He was told that unless he ate it all, he would be executed for the crime of attempting to steal the king's cow. He was then shut up in the house and left for three days with the confidence that he could not accomplish this impossible task. After he had eaten and drunk to his fill, he pondered his dilemma. He then took a large bone from the remains of his meal and began to dig. He dug all day and all night until he had a deep hole. And there he buried the food and drink and smoothed the ground over and packed the earth so there was no sign of it. When Walumbe and Kaikuzi went into the hut on the third day, they couldn't believe their eyes. So they searched thoroughly but failed to find anything. They went to their father and told him what had happened and Gulu didn't believe it either, but he was impressed. And so he set him the third task. Gulu gave Chintu a copper axe, part of the king's beloved regalia, and said to him, go and cut me some firewood from the rock because I do not use ordinary firewood. When Chintu arrived at the great rock that he had been directed to, he saw that it was smooth and unbroken and said to himself, what am I to do? If I strike the rock, the axe will only turn on its edge and be ruined and the king will be displeased. So he climbed the rock a great distance and a treacherous journey and when he got to the top, saw that it was cracked in places where it had been struck by lightning. So he gathered up these pieces and returned to the king who was once again surprised that Chintu had completed his task. So Gulu set him the fourth task and instructed him to gather dew for the king as he did not drink water from the wells for fear of poisoning. Chintu took a pot and went off to a field to ponder how he was going to accomplish this task, watched closely by the king's guard. All day and all night, he pondered his dilemma and began to fear that he had finally been bested. Exhausted, he finally fell asleep and when he woke up the next morning, he looked in the distance and saw that the clouds were low in the valley. And so he made his way there and set his pot down along with the large leaves from the prized plantain tree and passed another night. And when he woke up, he saw that the dew had gathered on the leaves and in the pot and left enough water to drink. And so he returned to Gulu, who once again was impressed and said, this is a man of great resourcefulness. He shall surely have his cow back. And he instructed Chintu to select his cow from the king's herd. This was the fifth and final task. Chintu looked over the herd and saw that there were thousands of cattle and grew worried. But Gulu instructed him to rest up and the next day he would complete his mission. That night, Kaikuzi, Nambi's favorite brother, had a crisis of conscience. He saw how much his sister loved Chintu and how resilient the man had been, and so he took pity on them and crept into Chintu's heart and said to him, Look out for a large, colorful butterfly tomorrow. The cow on whose horns the butterfly alights will be yours. This is my blessing for you to take my beloved sister, Nambi, as your wife. And so the next morning, Chintu went to the appointed place and there saw the butterfly resting on a tree. A large herd, hundreds of head of cattle, was presented and he pretended to look for his cow, but in reality, he watched for the distinctive butterfly, which did not move. After a while, Chintu said, I do not see my cow. 
a second herd was brought and again he said i do not see my cow a third herd was brought and at last the butterfly flew up and rested on the horns of a large healthy cow chintu pointed it out and said that is my cow the butterfly flew to another cow and a third and chintu said these are the calves from my cow gulu was delighted and said surely you are a man among men to have completed your tasks take your cow and my daughter nambi who loves you marry her and return home with my blessing but then he took them aside and continued but you must hurry away from this place your brother walumbe called death will not be pleased and he will come after you and be a thorn in your side for all your days Chintu and Nambi agreed and went to prepare and quietly took leave of Gulu who said to them if you have forgotten anything make peace with it and do not return for if you do your brother Walumbe will surely follow you and be a plague to you all your lives heed my warning and so Chintu and Nambi set off on their journey back to earth taking with them a goat a sheep a fowl and a plantain tree On the way Nambi looked into her basket and saw that she had forgotten the seed for her fowl and said to Chintu I must return to my father and collect the grain for the fowl or it will die and we will have no eggs for the nourishment of our children Chintu dismayed refused and reminded her of her father's warning but in vain Nambi said I will be careful and hurry back no one will see me and so Nambi made her way back But as she was leaving the grain stores she met her father who said to her did i not instruct you not to return for any reason nambi quickly gathered her grain and left stealing away as quietly as she could when she returned to chintu he was elated but when he looked over her shoulder into the distance he saw that walumbe had followed and he cried out what have you done wife nambi turned to see her brother and was horrified But they decided to continue on to Buganda and Nambi planted her garden and it flourished with plantain and grain and for a time they were happy and had many children. One day Walumbe came to them and said, "I am alone. Give me your children, a boy and a girl, that they may tend to me." Chintu refused, saying, "If Gulu comes and asks where my children are, what am I to say to him?" Death was silent. and went away but returned every year to repeat his request one day walumbe came to chintu and nambi and said since you have refused to grant my request i will take your children from you but they did not understand as they had not known death that day their youngest child suddenly fell ill and died and more of their children began to die at intervals In distress Chintu returned to Gulu and told him of the passing of his children and everything that Walumbe had said and done. Gulu replied, "Did I not warn you when you left to go at once with your wife and not return for any reason? This is the price of your disobedience. As long as Walumbe roams the earth, your children will die." Meanwhile, Kaikuzi had been listening and taking pity on his beloved sister asked his father to let him return with Chintu to earth and bring Walumbe home so that there would be no more death 
Gulu agreed, and for a long time, Kaikuze searched for his brother. But every time Walumbe saw him approach, he hid deep in the caves until Kaikuze, weary, after many years of searching, gave up and returned to his father. And so death came to Buganda. And so the story goes that in the 13th century, at the beginning of the Renaissance in Italy, and while the Mali Empire was reaching its height under King Mansa Musa, Buganda went from being sparsely populated to being unified under the first king, Keita Chintu, the founder of Buganda's Chintu dynasty. 36 Kabakas or kings are said to have ruled after Chintu, who mysteriously disappeared after laying the kingdom's foundations. It is believed that Chintu came from the direction of Mount Elgon on the border of present-day Uganda and Kenya around 1300 AD via Bugisu, Budama and Busoga and finally to the shores of Lake Victoria to present-day Buganda where he seized power from the last indigenous ruler Bemba Musota. There he crowned himself the head of all clans Savataka. He is said to have come with 13 or 14 of the present-day clans, but ordered them to intermarry with the indigenous people, creating the Buganda ethnic group. Buganda started as a small nuclear state comprising of Busiro, Mawokota, and Chadondo around the 15th century. But by the 17th century, under the reign of Kabaka Katerega, it had expanded to cover Singo, Chagwe, Gomba, and Butambala as he captured these counties from Bunyoro. Around the 18th century, under Kawaka Junju, Buganda waged wars of expansion against their old rival, Bunyoro, in which he captured Buddu, which was rich in iron. From 1814 to 1831, Sekamanya annexed Wera, Buekula, and Koki. At that time, the kingdom began to build fleets of war canoes so as to take control of Lake Victoria and the surrounding areas and subjugated several of the weaker peoples. Buganda was established as a strongly hierarchical and patriarchal kingdom. However, of the three people who could be called Kabaka or king, two were women, the queen mother and the queen sister. The Queen Mother had political and ritual functions, possessed her own courts, and had the authority to collect taxes. The death of the Kabaka's mother could instigate a time of terror, as the Kabaka, in his grief, often took this opportunity to have his executioner eliminate his enemies. The senior wife of the king, the Navagerika, also held special respect and had status and privilege within Ganda society and was considered superior to all other chiefs and technically the most powerful commoner being a royal by marriage. Another legend is told in Buganda of strong women known as the Naku who were right-hand advisors to the Kabaka. The story goes that hundreds of years ago, after the death of the second king, Kabaka Chwa Nabaka, Naku was the daughter of Walusimbi of the royal lineage of the Fumbe clan. She was married to Sebuana, one of the king's right-hand men. Upon the death of Kabaka Nabaka, the kingdom was thrown into turmoil as the succession had not been decided because the king had no son and the next in line, Prince Kalemera, brother to the deceased king, was in exile in neighboring Bunyoro Chitara. He had been sent away to work and raise money for the fine that had been imposed for his misdeeds, and only when he had paid it could he return to Buganda. 
While in exile, Prince Kalimera had a child with the Queen of Bunyorochitara. Meanwhile, in Buganda, Sebwana had been appointed regent and caretaker to the throne, with his wife Naku by his side. About 10 years passed and Sewana received news that the queen of Bunyorochitara had birthed a son, Prince Chimera, who was now a young boy. Sewana was disappointed with the news and the existence of an heir to the throne as he had grown attached to his status as king regent. But the people of Uganda found out about young Prince Chimera and demanded his return to the kingdom. So Sewana hatched a plot he arranged for his servants to bring the boy from Bunyorochitara with a plan to secretly have him assassinated on the journey. However, when his wife, Naku, learned of the plot, she was devastated. Being loyal to the throne, she decided to intercept his plan to ensure that the heir was not killed and took his rightful place. So she hatched her own plan. Each time Sewana would send his emissaries to fetch, fetch the prince, Naku would intercept them and warn them that her husband would kill anyone who returned with the prince. The servants, unaware of Sewana's plan to have the boy killed, were so terrified that they fled and never returned, choosing exile in Bunyorochitara. Naku did this three times until Sewana began to wonder why his emissaries never returned. After a while, Naku suggested to him that he should go fetch the prince himself since his servants had failed him. Sebwana took her advice and set off, but by the time he arrived, Naku had arranged safe passage for the young prince back to Buganda by another road. When he arrived, he was enthroned and the royal palace announced the return of the true king. And when the elders and people of Buganda heard that Naku had saved the kingdom without bloodshed, they celebrated and honored her. Kabaka Chimera was so grateful to her that he appointed her as an advisor, charging her with the responsibility of introducing the new Kabaka, leading the celebrations of his enthronement, and announcing the end of the mourning period after the death of the Kabaka. She was also rewarded with land, cattle, servants, and her very own palace. Sebwana fled into exile and was buried in shame. The reigning Naku remained highly respected throughout Buganda until 1999, when the role was eventually abolished for very good reasons. When the first Europeans entered the Kingdom of Uganda in 1875, they found a highly organized political system. The explorer, journalist, and colonizer Henry Morton Stanley provided an estimate of Buganda's troop strength. He counted 3,000 troops and a fleet of war canoes. At Buganda's capital, Lubaga, he found a well-ordered city surrounding the king's palace, which was situated atop a commanding hill. A tall fence surrounded the palace compound, which was filled with grass-roofed houses, meeting halls, and storage buildings. And thronging the grounds were foreign ambassadors seeking audiences, chiefs going to the Royal Advisory Council, the Luchiko, messengers running errands, and a corps of young pages. He estimated the population of the kingdom at at least 2 million subjects. By the mid-19th century, Kabaka Mawanda had captured the counties of Bulemezi and Bugere with the help of the British who provided them with ammunition, making Buganda the largest and most powerful kingdom in the Interlacastrian. 
with the help of the British, Kabaka Mutesa brought in the lost counties of Buruli as well as Buyaga and Bugangaisi, which the British gave to Buganda as a reward for their collaboration with the British in crushing Bunyoro. It seems that Buganda took to heart the adage, if you can't beat them, join them. This gives some insight into why they have developed a reputation for tact, diplomacy, and statesmanship. Following unsuccessful attempts to retain its independence against British imperialism, Buganda became the center of the Uganda Protectorate in 1884, and the name Uganda, the Swahili term for Buganda, was adopted by British officials. Under British rule, many Buganda acquired status as colonial administrators, and Buganda became a major producer of cotton and coffee. Following Uganda's independence in 1962, the kingdom was abolished by Uganda's first prime minister, Milton Obote, in 1966. Following years of disturbance under Obote and the dictator Idi Amin, as well as several years of internal divisions among Uganda's ruling NRM under Yoweri Museveni, the kingdom was officially restored in 1993. Buganda is now a traditional kingdom and thus occupies a largely ceremonial role under Kabaka Mwenda Mutemi II. Buganda's boundaries today are marked by the Tanzanian border in Lake Naluvale, previously Lake Victoria, to the south, the River Nile to the east, Lake Choga to the north, Ankole to the west, and River Kafu to the northwest. And that is where our tale ends today. I have taken artistic license with some of the details, but the broad strokes remain true. Next time in this series, we travel north to the land of a people that came down from the Sudan and a tragic tale of a bloody feud between two brothers. As always, thanks for listening. Give us a like and subscribe to the channel if you enjoyed this episode and follow me on Twitter at SKentaro to continue the conversation. I hope you'll be back for the next one. Goodbye for now.